film fans, welcome back to another episode of Movie Rampage. This is episode number seven, and we are talking Black Panther. <gasps> Tim! Tim! Yeah, that's Lizzie. Yes, Tim, Lizzie is excited. Tim. Tim, we're talking Black Panther. We are. We're going to talk about all the Black Panther stuff. Oh my gosh, so much Black Panther stuff to talk about. You know how excited I am about this episode. I do. I do. Liz. Hi. Hi. How are you? I'm so excited. I know. <laughs> I can tell. I can I'm tell. so excited. All right. So I, I see no reason to just not jump right into this. Do it. Do it. And, do and it. Just start talking right about Black Panther here. Uh, our typical spoiler warning certainly applies. If you have not seen Black Panther, I don't know what the hell you are waiting for. We don't know where you've been, but we're worried. Send like send a, like a note out. We'll try to save you. Yeah, yeah. I mean, are you okay? That's the question is, are you okay? That's a big concern. We're worried if you didn't see it. We are worried, actually. (laughs) Send a a message in the bottle. We'll find you. (laughs) So Black Panther broke records. Yeah, it did. In pre-sale tickets. It did absolutely incredible. It was like the, what, number one pre-sale ticket for uh, all the MCU. Yep. It had an incredible opening weekend. Uh, which was supported by a, an extra day there uh, with with the holiday with with Monday, but nonetheless, two hundred and forty one point nine million dollars over the opening weekend. That is insane. That is absolutely incredible. That just I think exceeded any and all expectations, except for mine. Except for Liz's. That's it met mine. This I is, knew it. <laughs> this is why Liz went like almost all in on the movie draft and said, Here, take my money, movie draft. And who's crying now? Not me. <laughs> I hey, I actually was a couple days ago just conceded the whole season on uh on, on Twitter to you. Yeah, and, and the season's not even – we have, like, over a month left, and I just said, no, it's all cool. Liz wins. This is a good move on your part. <laughs> and I think, actually, the opening weekend is all you needed. I, I don't need anything more. anyone can touch you with anything else because yeah. the opening weekend was all that was needed. Also, two weeks ago when we did our projections, I wanted to hit 200000 right away, and you guys were like, whoa. And I was like, that's what I want to go with. But then I went lower <laughs> because of these gentlemen. And I should have just gone with my gut because I knew it was going to do this. Even without the extra day, I knew it was going to do this. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It it really just, like, knocked this thing out of the park. So ratings-wise, uh, Rotten Tomatoes, 97% from the critics, which is incredible. It actually held on to 100%, like, just a couple days before the movie actually released. Then it sat at uh, 99% for quite a while. And then as the last few reviews trickled in, it, it got down to 97%. But 97%, I, that's that's nothing to cry over. That's that's amazing. That's, that is absolutely amazing. But most movies so can't even get in the 90s. Yeah. The audience score on Rotten Tomatoes, 77%, which is pretty much in line with IMDb's uh, rating, which is also an audience score, which is 7.9 out of 10, so 79%. Still, I don't know what in the world these people are thinking. I I thought it was a great movie. Well, you know, there's always going to be haters. And because of the political climate we're living in, there's a lot of people who are just hating on it to hate on it, essentially. Yeah. And that's ridiculous and not to take it for what it is, you know, and allow it to be the movie that it is. And Mm -hmm. they have to, like, 
oh, why isn't it, why isn't there more about the Infinity Stones? Why this, why that? Like, that's fine, but, like, it's a great movie and you should zip it. <laughs> well, and, and there's actually some good questions and some of those questions I saw come up um, on Twitter and we actually had some of that discussion in Discord over the last couple of days. Yes, me and the mics were having quite a chat about it. Yeah, and I actually, I want to bring that up later and talk about some of that stuff because those were some expectations that that people had myself included i i completely expected you know an infinity the the reveal for the last infinity stone and we didn't I have a it. lot to say about it <laughs> so a yeah lot. so we'll, we'll 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 talk about that in a little bit so you have seen this what three times yes <laughs> yes <laughs> i did see it three times Excellent. opening weekend yep <laughs> so half of that money is mine <laughs> <laughs> I saw it Thursday night uh, at 11.30. Mm-hmm. I saw it Friday night at 8 o'clock with my brother down in Tampa because he's my, like, nerd soul brother, actual brother person. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I saw it on Sunday night at, like, 6 or 7 o'clock with my cousin, Wesley, who's... We were supposed to be recording Random Chatter with Lou and I. I know. But you did but just because, like... quote, your computer broke. Uh-huh. <laughs> it did! Sure, Liz. Uh-huh. Yep. It wouldn't work. Yep. Uh-huh. <laughs> and Panther. I had to console myself at Black Panther with yeah. the tragedy of not being able to record. Mm-hmm. Yep. True story. And, and you True probably story. got a Starbucks too and didn't bring me any. Yeah, I definitely, I definitely did that. Yeah, I, I figured as much. Um, I saw it once. I, I saw it uh, Thursday, the Thursday night that it opened. I, I caught the 7 p.m. show. And then I think afterwards I sent you some texts to, to kind of tease you a little bit since I knew you were <laughs> you were waiting. <laughs> yeah. I I was just floored by it. So uh, directed and uh, largely written by there's there's a few writing credits, but Ryan Coogler uh, has the the director's credit and uh, and a lot of the writing credits with this. Obviously, this is a a uh, long standing Marvel character, um, relatively minor character in the Marvel universe, but we've also seen some of that in the MCU where they've really drawn on some. you know, not the top tier, not necessarily the most popular characters and have really brought them into the MCU and, and, and put them front and center. Well, and I think that they, that they benefit from that too, because there's not as high expectations around a character you don't know as much about, or people have a lot of expectations about Spider-Man, whereas with Iron Man, they didn't have any. And so that's, they were able to really say like, whatever you thought about the character, those of you who really love it, we're going to improve upon that and also shatter maybe an expectation you might have in a good way. Yeah. Um, So they're able to do that with Black Panther, but there are, I'm sure that there is a big fan base for Black Panther. Um, I've known about Black Panther, the character for a long time. I just didn't necessarily read it as a kid or know Mm -hmm. about the mythology of a storyline but that leaves plenty of room for adding in your own mythology as far as marvel's concerned yeah i I think the probably the best promotion that they could have done for black panther was including him in civil war oh because that was just from the moment we saw him in civil war i we were like floored it was like oh my god we we need more of this character this is so cool I mean, Chadwick Boseman hit it out of the park in that film, and he he used every scene he had to the fullest. Oh yeah, um, which is a, you know, it's now that we know it's who he is because he's wonderful and just like an amazing. I don't know, I'm, I love him. He's new new favorite. 
Big what time. Was, what was great with Black Panther, and they, they did the same thing with uh, Spider-Man Homecoming, which was they spent the first five or ten minutes of the film doing kind of flashbacky things, going back to Civil War that got us caught up immediately. We, we immediately knew the background of these characters as it pertained to the greater MCU, where they kind of retold the events of, of, of uh, Civil War. And what was great about it was that it was really what was most important to those characters. For Peter Parker, for Spider-Man, it was getting to you know, take Captain America's shield. Like that's what he, and he's like, you know, he's retelling his story and, Hey, I showed up and Hey, what's up one, uh, uh under ruse. And I got Captain <laughs> America's shield and all this. So he's like all excited and talking about it. But then, you know, the flashback for black Panther, obviously his entry into this was his father's death. Mm-hmm. And so that's really, by and large, that was the catalyst for this entire movie because, well, his father died, which then uh, had uh, had T'Challa inheriting the throne. And really, this whole movie, um, for him, fundamentally, from, from that thread, was about him becoming the king and establishing himself as the king and what kind of a king, what kind of a person would he be and how would he lead his people and all these choices that he had to face. Whereas, you know, for a while before this, he obviously took the mantle of Black Panther before he became king. It kind of seemed at some point his father retired from being Black Panther and said, okay, my son's going to take that mantle. And so T'Challa has been doing this for a little while. And he got to, what, what I'm surmising here is that, well, Okay, so he got to go out and fight these fights and do his thing, but he didn't have to lead. He didn't have to be king. He wasn't burdened by that. And now this has completely changed everything when he becomes king of Wakanda. Yeah, that's true. I did love how they started it at that point um, to give us a touchstone of the timeline and where we are sort of coming into his story after that, since it's the first time we get to see him as part of the greater story of the MCU. Mm -hmm. So to sort of give you that touch point to know that the be- the beginning of the film is a week after um, Civil War. Then they save Nakia, which is also still within that timeline. And then there's a bit of a jump, which actually well, one of the things we were talking about on Discord is that you don't necessarily get a sense for the time in between, like how long it takes. Right. You know, what's the time period between saving Nakia um, or not saving Nakia, but grabbing her from her mission um, and then you know, the the ceremony and then the events leading up to Killmonger and all of that kind of mm-hmm. stuff. Like, you don't really get a sense for how long all of that takes because yep. in, there's no pacing, which is fine. I don't care about that. I just, I did wonder, we were wondering in the Discord channel, like, where does this necessarily fit into the timeline? Especially for me, who's going chronologically. I was like, is this like at the same time as Homecoming? Is it after? Is it right after Civil War? Should I watch it there? I don't know. So I'm going to watch it in... That is going to be watched in release order, so it'll be watched right before Infinity War because mm-hmm. I don't necessarily kn- know what the timeline for it is, but I'll know more as I go along watching it. But I thought that was an interesting way to start the story off um, with what we already knew. So Yeah, yeah. It, it definitely Ugh. was, and it kind of made for a nice nice introduction, nice transition. If you were familiar with the character, you, could, you were able to just kind of continue that storyline if for some reason folks who might not have seen Civil War 
went out and saw this, they were able to immediately pick it up really without losing a beat. I mean, they, they didn't lose anything at all. So, <clears throat> excuse me, it was a nice way to do it. Um, I, we've just because I know we're going to mention, we already have, we've mentioned some actors and some characters in this quick rundown of, of some of the major cast here. Chadwick Boseman obviously, um, plays T'Challa who's Black Panther and he is just freaking awesome. Bye friend. Michael B. Jordan plays Eric Killmonger, uh, who we really Evil don't boyfriend. see, <laughs> <laughs> who we really don't see much of until, um, later in the film, we, we, He's just kind of seems like this sidekicky kind of person. And you don't know, you know, if you go in totally cold into this, you don't know what's what his character actually means and who he is and what he becomes. So um, you see little bits of him here and there. And then all of a sudden, third act, it is all Killmonger all the time. Well, and, you know, because it's Michael B. Jordan that he does have a greater piece in the story. We all know that, but you just don't. You're like, what is his deal? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> is uh, he like Claw's sidekick or is he like running the show here? Yeah. You know? Yeah. Uh, we've got uh, Lupita Nyong'o who plays Nakia, who is uh, just awesome. She is really, she's T'Challa's love interest, but it seems kind of like, you know, there's a separation between the two. Um, she is, she's a, a, a spy, uh, essentially, for... Wakanda, and it seems she has a lot of autonomy, and she enjoys that autonomy, and she very much believes in her mission. So, like, the the spy work that she does, you get the sense that it is very altruistic. It, it She has a lot of a lot of humanity behind it. So our, our introduction to her, as you mentioned, when, when, when T'Challa got her early in the film, she was kind of embedded in what looked to be like a human trafficking kind of thing going on. And um, so T'Challa severely interrupted everything that she had. Her whole worked, mission. Yeah, a long time to get set up. And, and, and you know, in the end of, of that little bit did free the, the people that she was with. But she has and she has quite a reach uh, that we find a little bit later on in the movie that. You know, there's a particular contact in South Korea who she knows well, and she she has these, these this certain set of skills, I guess. <laughs> I I will say she is her and Okoye and, and Suri that just like such strong female characters that have their own like peace in this that aren't beholden to even Nakia has a love story within it, but she's not beholden to that love story. She right. really gets her own thing, and their loves. I mean. I will say, like, Cap and Peggy and Tony and Pepper are, like, at the top of my relationship pile. Like, mm-hmm. those are the two relationships. The longest lasting and the best one is sure. Cap, and, Cap and Peggy are, is the best. Tony and Pepper are the longest lasting. But then Even comes along. they're on to, again, off again. They are, but, <laughs> but still, like, they have sort of this longevity that a lot of the other ones don't. Um but then along comes T'Challa and Nakia and everybody else loses because they are the best. Like their relationship is zero angst. It's not like, well, they won't. They it's it, they like fit together as locking pieces when it works together. They're not together when it doesn't work out. They come back yeah. together. The greater good is more important. Like I, uh, relationship goals out the wazoo. Like what? I love them. And Lupita Nyong'o already loved but love her so much more with this character and what she did with it. Um, 
I I love that what they did with Nakia's character is that, you know, she she doesn't fawn over T'Challa. She is focused. Zero interest in that. Yeah. I mean, (laughs) she she is focused on her own thing. Um, She clearly loves him, but it's kind of in her own way. It's very non-traditional, you know, where she's not glued to him or glued to the relationship. And she really just she she's believes very strongly in the things that she has been doing for a period of time and wants to stick with those. She wants to make a difference. She wants to, you know, use these spy skills to carry on these, these good things, these altruistic things, these humanitarian things. Um, And we see, you know, in the end of the movie that she does get an opportunity to continue doing that. That wasn't completely satisfying to me. I don't the ending? Oh my god, I love the ending. Okay, so I know maybe your listeners are going to get pissed. Because I actually wanted can we talk about the ending list? Can we talk about it now? Yeah. Okay. We do what we want. Talk about it. That's right. We do It's our show, damn it. It's our show. We, we do what we want. Do it. <laughs> do it. Okay. So the the end of the movie and and, and I like this conceptually that T'Challa um bought the building that his uncle died in. Along yes. with like, and I own that building, and I own that building, and that <laughs> one, and you know, and so it's the he, Oprah of buildings. Yeah, he buys them and all. so <laughs> this is like in you know downtown LA, and he bought this to make this into the like Wakandan outreach, inner city outreach center, or something like that. Yeah, and he kind of, I mean, he's he's engaging uh, Nakia's sense of humanity to say, okay, we want to do this and we can make a difference. And I want you to be in charge of this. What do you not like about that? (laughs) Because she's a badass and she's like a spy. She's a field agent. And and I guess that like, okay, so if they are going to get hitched and she becomes queen, yeah, I guess she can't be out there being a spy anymore. But it just seems Uh, that Why not? She can do what she wants. She can. She can. Um, and I guess if he's going to run around being Black Panther, then I suppose she could she could do this too. But yeah. it, it just seems to me that it's totally. like you're taking someone who has this knowledge and skill and ability and, and motivation and, and, and talent to do this thing. And, yeah, we're going to put you in this community center now. I, it well, just, but I... That didn't sit right with me. And, and I'm not saying it as a as a sexist issue or anything like that. I'm just saying if you take any character and say, oh, hey, yeah, I get that you have this particular passion in your life, but I'm going to severely misdirect it from what you're really good at. No, but if you think about the conversation she has with him in the marketplace the first time when he's like, stay, and she's like, no, I'm doing my work. She's talking about about like Wakanda has the resources to change the world. Like mm-hmm. what we can do what these other countries are doing, but better not in the shadows. She's not, I don't think there she's talking about doing it from the shadows. Her passion is to have that happen on whatever scale that means. Yes. She's a spy because Wakanda has to have spies in order to have those missions go through because no one knows Wakanda is what it is. Right. So, because of the necessity to be a spy, she is one. But I don't necessarily think that she wouldn't choose the path of openness with that mission if she could. And I read a really cool thread that was talking about like Killmonger and Nakia both have the same outward out like worldview of like what why can't Wakanda 
do more. Fix this. Yeah. 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 And it's the difference is that, you know, Killmonger has been influenced by the West and influenced by the death of his father and influenced by being a part of the CIA and American uh, military operations and mm-hmm. been taught to go infiltrate and destroy resources and stage coups and everything. Whereas Nakia has been raised in this like paradise world where technology and the, and everything comes together in this sort of like idyllic uh, ex- existence and wants that for everybody in an altruistic way. It's the right. opposite of what Killmonger wants, which sure. is I like that they are sort of the juxtaposition of each other as Nakia and Killmonger because they actually have a very similar worldview but coming from very different places and reasons. Yeah. So I don't – I get your point and I do see like if she was a spy because she had a choice to be a spy or a non-spy and she chose to be a spy, then that might be the case. But does she really have a choice not to be a spy if she's out in the world and she's Wakandan? I don't think she does. I think that's sort of if she wants to use those those resources and get that agenda done, she can't throw the weight of Wakanda behind it because it's secret. Sure. But if she could on an open platform, I think that she would. And that's the she wants the agenda to be pushed through more than like her role as a spy. Yeah. And and if that's the case, then I, that makes me more satisfied with that answer. The thing is, we don't really know, you know, because we didn't get a whole lot of reaction from her in that, that moment, because really T'Challa was kind of leading that moment and transitioned pretty quickly from speaking to Nakia to speaking to Shuri about her role now with this, which is also a little unsatisfying because wait a minute. She's like the chief engineer of Wakanda. And now, again, we're going to, you know, I mean, maybe it's going to be like a side gig that she's going to do in, in, in L.A. Think- in this, this, this community center. But it just, I don't know. I just didn't I don't like necess- the scene. I don't know that I necessarily, like, I think that we need a def- more of a defini- definition of what it will actually be. But I thought of it more as like an embassy than a community center because it's more of like Wakanda's it's it is it's like an embassy it's like Wakanda's peace in America it's like any any embassy outside of any other country in another country and so that's I think it didn't upset me because I saw it as an embassy in America for Nakia and Shuri to do the things that they love best but on a global scale in America the place where it would make sense for them to start that that role it, it, um, and it so might be maybe from that I perspective. had a different interpretation of it. Yeah, because I don't think it's. I don't know what you. I guess what your thought was of, of it being a community center or what that would look like. But a community center would not make any sense at all. But an embassy where they're doing their exact role that they would do in Wakanda, but bringing it to a wider scale, whether that be rescuing people from human trafficking or sharing technology with the world. They're still, that's what they've been wanting to do in Wakanda. This is on a global scale. So that's when I heard that, I thought that. Okay. And that was the reveal, like that's sort of like when when T'Challa reveals the ship, that's him making his presence known in the world and saying like, this is where we're going to be. This is where... We're going to make our stand in the world and start not being in the shadows, but being out in the public. So if you think of it from an embassy perspective and in a like a world sharing technology sharing way, like I saw a lot of memes of like when Shuri meets Tony Stark, like how epic that will be, because that's you know, what I'm like, waiting for. Yeah, I think that's going to this will allow for that to happen. They can't have that happen in Wakanda. I mean, they could now if they decided it. 
it's almost different because they can still sort of keep an anonymity but have a handout and have people mm-hmm. not still like bombard them. But if they yeah. come to America and open their doors, that's different than like opening the wall of Wakanda and everybody flooding in or testing or whatever, right, you know? Right. Yeah, for 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 Shuri, I, I I mean I loved her character and I am I I am so looking forward to that moment that Tony Stark meets her. And I hope that it happens. Be, and, and of course, you know how Tony is because he's going to be really wowed by her. And then he's going to offer her a job. Right. Because, because, <laughs> because that's, that's how Tony is. He, I mean, he did the same thing with, um, with Bruce Banner. And she's going to be like, cool, cool, cool. I don't need your job. <laughs> exactly. She's, yeah, she's going to, no, I'm, I'm, I'm good. I, I got my own thing going. Thanks a lot. She's like, ever heard of vibranium? I don't need you. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> So, so Shuri's played by Letitia Wright, who is uh, an incredible young actress, and just she was maybe to me the most surprising part of this movie. I my other absolute favorite. Every moment that she had on the screen, the interaction that she had with uh, T'Challa, who's her her big brother, and it was funny because there were moments that, like when they first encountered e- each other, when we first saw her. She was yeah. very much the little sister. Mm-hmm. But soon after, we realized, like, she is super genius level. She is effectively the chief engineer of all of Wakanda. She's doing all sorts of cool tech stuff. I, I think we're going to talk a little bit about, the, like, the James Bond parallels in this. But she was, like, in in a sense, she was the cue to T'Challa's Bond, Mm-hmm. But she was even more than that because she basically made Wakanda run. I mean, every bit of tech was in in the movie was essentially credited to her and the things that she was able to do, harnessing the power of vibranium and all that kind of stuff. So she her character was awesome and brilliant and funny. Glib and like didn't care about tradition, but like she wasn't just comic relief. She also had these really like heart wrenching moments when she thinks T'Challa's dead and when she's confronted with like the the shifting of her whole world. I did. She did a beautiful job, and I want to see so much more from her as an actress and as a character. Um, Shuri spinoffs left and right, please. Yeah. I want all of them. Yeah, I, and and she was like. Also, in a sense, she was kind of like uh, Iron Man's Jarvis, because whenever yeah. T'Challa right. is, is Black Panther, like you know, they're in South Korea, and he's like, "Hey, you know, he'd be able to come to her," and he's like, "Hey, I need this," and she's like, "Okay, here's now your next." Re-. So, like, she's just constantly setting him up with resources and and tools and weapons and armor and and just all sorts of cool stuff. She was awesome. Um, I mean, if if you look her up in IMDb, you will see that she is one of a handful of characters from this movie who will have an appearance in Infinity War. Yay. I'm thinking Infinity War now probably has to be, what, six hours? It's definitely going to be six hours. <laughs> because, <laughs> I mean, it's unfortunate that we're no! probably going to have a minute and a half of screen time for Shuri. In, for in for everybody, War. everybody gets like three minutes except for the old Avengers because they're all going to die. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I mean, that's pretty much how how that's gonna how that's gonna have to roll there. I mean, we'll see. We had Okoya, who is played by Denai <gasps> Guerrera, who everyone probably knows from The Walking Dead. Oh, and MG, she Tim. was pretty much Michonne in this, except like even bigger, better. 
and better. better. Yeah. So, so amazing. I mean, we already knew she could do amazing at yeah. being like a badass, like mm-hmm. take no, taking names, kicking ass sort of character. But like, I don't know, she took it to another level. Her relationship with T'Challa is so pure in that it's sort of a big sister, but also the general of the army. So you have like she maintains her professionalism, but she cares so much about T'Challa. And when he dies mm-hmm. or dies, quote unquote, um, in the fight with Killmonger, you can see the conflict in her where she's like, I have oh, a duty yeah. to this country. Yet I also, that's my friend and the person that I've served for however long. There's a conflict within just in her eyes when she's standing there, like holding back tears. But mm-hmm. like you can see in like her, like in her jaw, it's like clenched. I yeah. don't know. That part I was just like, oh, <laughs> like chills. Oh, yeah. And it was heartbreaking. Oh. It's, you know, she we saw from the very beginning of the movie we saw this relationship like you said it was it was like a like a sibling best friend kind of relationship between Okoye and, and T'Challa before T'Challa went down to uh the surface to get Nakia and Okoye is poking fun at him and she says hey you know don't don't freeze up when you see her um and and of course he did <laughs> I love that and uh <laughs> you know and, and also Okoye says you know do you want me to go he's like no I I, I got this and of course she shows up and has to save his ass Wait, that was one of my favorite parts when he sees Nakia and he's like, hi. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Like the guys are about to fire and he's like, hey, that was the best. Yep. It was just, it was so good. And, you know, she is such a, she's such a great character. And that conflict, yeah, that was really heartbreaking after, you know, the apparent death of of T'Challa and Killmonger took over the throne and then, you know, Nakia went to go get Okoya and said, Hey, we're, we're leaving. We're, we're out. And she said, my heart goes with you, but I have to stay here. You know, my duty is to the throne. And that was like, you could see her heart was broken from it. And, and as being in the audience, my heart was broken for it. It's like, Oh God, really? That's, Oh, but you still sort of understand that pers- you, you understand where she's coming from, also wanting her to be like, screw it. But she's she has the people of the Dora Milaje who are who are following her, and she can't just like run away and leave them because they look to her for guidance. And in all fairness, Killmonger did win the fight fairly in the rules of Wakandan, you know, leadership in the monarchy. Right. What is she to do? She can't. He may be terrible at his job, Hello. <laughs> but like she, that's it. She has to do what she has to do, and and that conflict is very real for her and very apparent on her face. Can I just say, I know I'm white, and I'm just a disclaimer that we are both very, very white people. <laughs> um, as we talk about Black Panther, we're aware of that. Yeah, I'm aware of my whiteness, but I, if I could be in the Dora Milaje just for one day, you guys. Um, I would love that. Oh yeah, yeah. It's uh, I mean we're we're talking a group of badass women who just I mean they they exuded intimidation and strength and just like the righteousness that was needed to defend the throne. You know that that was their job. That's what they did, and it was just everything she did was incredible. And and really. It was just great that her her primary weapon was like this long bladed spear, and so yeah. as she's in the movie doing her thing, uh, fighting, it was like, oh, th- that's just Michonne, <laughs> you know, put some dreads yeah. on her, and that's Michonne. Yeah. Oh, how about the 
part when she flung her wig at the guy in the casino. Oh, my gosh. That was great. She's scrappy. She'll find whatever she can, and she will use it as a weapon. And I love her. (laughs) Oh, yeah. I I completely agree. Okay. I want to talk about, before we get to any white people, because this is, is, we're talking about everyone else first. Okay. Very important. Fair enough. Hold on. my, My MDB. I want to talk about M'Baku because what other favorite character so much? I loved his character. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'm trying to figure out what's the actor's name. Do you have it pulled up? Uh, Winston Duke. Yes, Winston Duke. Okay. Um, what? I loved his role in it. And in the beginning, when you first see him, when he comes to challenge T'Challa, I mean, he gets his moment there in a way. Yeah. But then when you see him later on and you're like, oh, no, he's awesome. <laughs> Oh, yeah, because early on you're like, okay, this guy's just kind of a dick and he's just trying to, uh, you know, assert himself and we know who has the rightful claim to the throne and all this. And then he disappears for a while and then, yeah, and then, I mean, really, he he saves the day uh, in in the end with with his group. So it's – that was was really neat and – it was, I mean, it was telegraphed a little bit, I guess, uh, because you kind of knew that he was going to come back around and he pretty much had a kind of a life debt of sorts with T'Challa since T'Challa gave him the opportunity to to uh, to give up instead of, you know, getting killed. Killing him. Yeah. I still didn't feel like we were going to see him again. I felt like, like, I don't know, that's showing you who T'Challa is and that yeah. and how the system works. I didn't think, oh, we're going to have more from him later because of this. So that was a surprise to me that he was brought back in. But then he got such funny lines like the um, uh, to Martin Freeman when he's like, if you speak again, I'll feed you to my children. And yeah. then he's like, ha, I'm a, and he's like, ha, 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 I'm a vegetarian. <laughs> it was great. It was I, really was, great. He played the the perfect, like, beats in that with, you know, it wasn't like, it didn't have the flavor, the humor of, like, Ant-Man or some of the other characters, Spider-Man. It had its own beautiful, like, comedic flavor in the midst of this really beautiful story of, like, a monarchy and a father and a son and um, two cousins who didn't know each other. Like, all of the other things going on, they were able to hit such funny beats. But I really loved his character. It really did have some, some great funny moments. And, 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 you know, Mabaku was kind of an interesting opposite, I guess, to Wakabi, who kind of starts off as you're thinking, oh, okay, this is like T'Challa's best friend. And this is the guy who's going to stand by him all the time. And he really ended up, I, he was doing, I think what he thinks was best for Wakanda. Um, He was also kind of emotionally guided because... He really wanted to see revenge for his parents' death, uh, mm-hmm. which came at the hand of of Claw. So that really is is kind of what made him turn on on T'Challa. Well, but then he, he did was, still come back around in the end. Well, and he was really interesting. His perspective of wanting to reveal himself to the world, reveal Wakanda to the world, which is why he supported Killmonger's. Um, ideas, but his was for retribution. His yeah. was let's arm everybody the way Killmonger's was. Mm-hmm. Let's arm everybody and not only show ourselves to the world, but take over the oppressors and take over everybody who's ever harmed anybody yep. that we don't like. You know, again, very much the opposite of Nakia's point of view of like, we can help everybody that doesn't know we exist. Killmonger and um, Wakabi took this sort of like uh, war the the killmonger sort of warmonger idea 
of no, we can be the force in the world that's going to fix everything from this military standpoint rather than like a humanitarian standpoint. So yeah. he, I was very surprised by his turn because I was like, oh, he's he's like Okoye and him are loves and like he's yes. best friends with T'Challa and we love him. And he play he's played by Daniel um, Kaluuya, who was in Get Out. So I'm recently yes. like yep. just watched that like two weeks ago. And so the whole time <laughs> I was like, yeah, it's Get Out. <laughs> I, and, and I actually I love the the romance between him and Okoya, and and the great thing is that there was no like they didn't take any kind of romance and hit you over the head with it in this movie, which I loved. Marvel doesn't really do that very often, though, except for maybe with Cap and Peggy. Yeah, I mean they they really played it very subtly, and and so they mentioned and they had you know some visual indication of this relationship between Wakabi and, and Okoya. And then it, it kind of comes around full circle when they find themselves on opposite sides. And she basically says, I'll kill you for my country. Yeah. I loved that part when he was like, you'd kill me. And she's like, for my country. Yes, I would like, yes. oh, yeah. don't you even question me. Mm-hmm. And then he's the one who backs out. I just, I love that whole scene. When, when he's charging and the rhino stops and licks her face because the rhino loves her. I thought that was so sweet. Oh, yeah. Oh, that was, that I was love great. that. Okay. And then we also have to talk about Sterling K. Brown, yes, who is in This Is Us and basically makes the world cry every week. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and did so again in this movie. I was like, every time Sterling K. Brown cries, it like pierces my heart with a red hot poker <laughs> and I have to cry. I mean... He plays King T'Chaka's brother, um, who has gone to Njobu, who goes to America and sort of, you know, again, has that perspective of like Wakanda can help. And he does he in his own way tries to help, um, you know, he sees he sees what goes on in America in the early 90s and how broken not only America, but the world is mm-hmm. um, still is, obviously. But um and he wants to help, and so he does what he thinks is is best, and that's get vibranium, you know, into the hands of people who can arm soldiers or create weapons outside of Wakanda because Wakanda is not willing to take that step. Mm-hmm. Um, so you really see Unjobu like I don't I struggle the the way Killmonger does, but still having grown up in Wakanda and in a different Killmonger never got to have that, but Unjobu does get that in his life. He does have. T'Chaka as his brother, and he sent his as a mission as a spy to America. Um, and he just he takes a turn with it that T'Chaka can't stomach for the country. Right. And that pretty much sets, well, that sets everything in motion for in the future for Killmonger and and everything that's that's going to happen. So it's it's a pivotal moment. And I like that there is kind of a reflection on you know real life american history and mm-hmm. racial issues and that kind of stuff and and i like how they kind of tied that in and, and integrated it without creating something new um it, it was able to i think really ground that part of the movie quite a bit yeah he was he was wonderful i lo- i when i when he's in the first part and then you see like the flashback of when he gets you know killed by tachaka um when when tachala's questioning um, Zori. And then I just, I thought, oh, like, that's all we're going to get from him. It's Sterling K. Brown. There's no way that's it. And then when Killmonger has his, um, 
you know, time in the soul universe or whatever with mm-hmm. with uh, Joe Boo. I was like, oh, no. And then it was done. I was like, <laughs> just like, oh, no, Sterling K. Brown's crying. <laughs> it's over. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that man. Well, <laughs> and, and you just knew. I mean, he he knew that his son was was not going to follow, you know, a path of righteousness with this. He he knew it was lost and Well, he also knew it was his own doing. He yes. also knew I I talked about taking you back and I he made his own mission more important than taking his son to the place where he was from. Yep. And he saw that in his eyes when the anger that Killmonger's throwing at him, not only at him ha- having left him even though he was killed, having left him, mm-hmm. but also at at the place where he was from betraying him, you know, right. essentially. And you see it in, in Jobu, you know, when he just breaks down crying, knowing what, what that did to his son. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, that part just killed me. I was like, <laughs> this <laughs> Yeah, it, it was a pretty gut-wrenching <sighs> moment of reflection. Um, and I like that little, that, that exchange. And that was one of the few you know, kind of down, down points and every movie has its ups and downs, you know, like, like a sine yeah. curve. You can't have all heavy action all the time. You have to bring things down and ground things a little bit. And the great thing that I found about this film to me was that, you know, sometimes with some films that downtime gets boring and you get like endless dialogue and just, it seems meaningless and it doesn't seem important. Every part of this movie was important. The The editing of it was fantastic. They they brought all of these scenes together perfectly. And, you know, you would come down off of some very action-y intense scene. And you're kind of expecting to rest a little bit. But then these less intense scenes are just as heavy. You know, yeah. they, they still weigh on you emotionally. Um, and, you know, but sometimes they throw a little bit of comedy in there or do something just to keep things. I mean, it, it moved. There were no pacing issues at all with this film. This film moved. Well, and a good movie is as impactful in the big moments as it is in the quiet ones. And, and it was so impactful in these, like, in the somber moments, again, after T'Challa gets defeated by Killmonger, when Killmonger's having his own... You know, we don't get to see a lot of villains get to have that sympathetic um, understanding. We get that with Loki. We get that left and right with Loki. We all love him. And we <laughs> we get all the shades of, like, of Loki and understanding his journey and still seeing him take, like, the step that you're like, why we all believe in you? Why yeah. can't you pick yeah. the right way? Did like, we, we not just you. have this conversation, Loki? Did we not just like, talk we about just this? just talked about this. <laughs> you know, like, we get that with Loki all over the place. And then, of course, with Marvel, they kill their villains off, so we don't get that with anybody else. But you get yeah. the shade of that with Hela. You get a shade of, like... It's not Hela being evil from the beginning. It's Hela being created by her circumstance. And we get that with Killmonger yeah. so beautifully to get those quiet moments of his as a, him as a boy, knowing that, you know, I don't know that everybody wants to see the shades of a villain when they're doing these big bad things. But I love to see, like, every villain is created from something. People aren't born that way. They're really not 100%. There's something that happens in your life that makes you choose that path. And it's the things that you do with what happens to you down the road. And you see Killmonger's steps as he goes along. This this seminal moment for his life mm-hmm. is what leads him down that path. And he could have been... T'Challa. He easily could have been T'Challa. He could have gone to his homeland. He could have been raised as a cousin 
and been, uh, you know, in line for the throne and and ruled with grace and dignity the way T'Challa does. But it's oh, this yeah. moment for him that sent him down this path. And I love to see that for a villain because we're, we all have that mm-hmm. capability within us, whether we want to admit it or not. And to see that play out is just so powerful. Um, again, right, Ryan Coogler writing this to the T and just really understanding that relationship so beautifully, just very impactful and emotional. Oh, absolutely. And to me, there is no better villain than a sympathetic villain. Exactly. Cause it makes you think like, I, what would I have done? Yeah, exactly. It, it, yeah, it makes you think about that and, and just consider the circumstances that drove them to the point that they're at. And it just, it makes them deeper. It makes them more interesting than just the, you know, evil mustache twirling kind of villain that's that's out there that just, you know, wants to, you know, kill everybody and, 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 and that kind of stuff. I mean, it's there's so many shades, you know, I, I think in a lot of storytelling, the good versus evil purity of it, of, of that whole dichotomy, I, I think is gone. Because the, the, the storytellers realize how much more interesting you can make characters when you start to move toward that gray area. And yeah. you can have your heroes who are flawed and you can have your villains who you can sympathize with. And it just makes for a great story. And what's interesting in this is that the, you know, by and large, there was nothing sympathetic about Claw. He was no. <laughs> he, he was simply greedy. That's that was the foundation of everything for him. He was essentially yeah. an arms dealer, mm-hmm. and it, it was just pure greed for him. And he was interesting, and, and I thought he was a great adversary. But he didn't have a lot of depth to him. Um, no. But of course, being played, you didn't by, sympathize with him. No, no, you really didn't didn't sympathize much. And of course, being played by by Andy Circus, you saw a great character developed. Um, for what he was, I don't think you could have developed the character anymore, though, because that that's that was pretty much it. That was pretty. Well, much I will it say, Andy Circus did a great job with that. First of all, jacked he's ever been. I mean, oh, he was yeah. so jacked in this movie. Yeah, I was like, his neck is the size of like a thigh. Like, what's happening? Yeah, yeah, it, it's it's true, and 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 he really did play the character great, and and you know all through, and you could just tell like kind of that deranged bit to him, and. The the use of some tech with vibranium with his his arm and arms dealer yeah arms dealer <laughs> haha but um uh, <laughs> so you know really cool character and and it was it was interesting because by the time as an audience member you committed to Claw and how evil the guy was and the damage that he was doing and his potential. Killmonger took him out. Right. The villain took out a villain. And usually you see them working together to the end because you know that if the enemy of my enemy is my friend, you know. um, Exactly. But Killmonger had his own agenda and he's like, nope. Yeah, he absolutely (laughs) did. Because then it's like it makes you stop and you're like, wait, some just henchman kid killed the big bad. Now what? Huh? Where, Where the hell is this going? Right. That was. That was beautifully done. It really was. It really was because it, it, it made you stop and think about it. And then you kind of didn't completely know what was going on until the movie started to connect some of the dots for you. And, yeah. you know, that, that part was, was fantastic. Yeah. 
I did not expect such a big part for Forrest Whitaker in this movie. Oh, when, yes. When I saw him on the cast list playing uh, Zuri, the, Zuri. the um, basically the, the, like the shaman for, for Wakanda, like a, very much a spiritual leader. Um, he, he kind of was the foundation of tradition for Wakanda. He was the keeper of the, the what in the world was the flower. Do we know what the name of that plant was? Oh, we do, um, but I can't remember it now that you're asking me. Of course. <laughs> um, so th- this this was the the plant, purple blowy flower. Yeah, that essentially, like as the plant grew, it it was imbued with the powers of the vibranium, and it's what made the Black Panther the the Black Panther. It's what 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 gave them their powers, and. Um, yeah, Forrest Whitaker had a had a, a, a great arc in this, especially once you realize that he was also in the beginning of the film when they mm-hmm. do the flashback uh, with Najobu, and you know, so so that's a a younger version of him there, and you know, then you see him as this 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 uh, foundation of tradition. For Wakanda, and then he, of course, has a very tragic death at the hands of of Killmonger. That was powerful too. It, it was. It was. It was that that was pretty heartbreaking as an audience member, and it was heartbreaking for T'Challa. And and you, it was kind of on the cusp of okay, is that death going to give T'Challa what he needs to defeat Killmonger, or was that did that was that the final thing that broke him? And of course, yeah. it ended up being the final thing that broke him. And and you know he 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 could not uh, overcome Killmonger in that, and and you know then went over the the edge of the waterfall. Well, there's also a beautiful heartbreaking moment for Killmonger um, when he looks at Zuri and Zuri looks down, and then when Zuri stands in front of the first time when Killmonger is going to kill T'Challa, and he stands in front of him, yeah. And he goes, it's me, it's me, I'm the reason. And he goes, well, then I'll kill you too, Uncle James, and calls him the name that his father called him back when he was probably raised to call him Uncle James as a member of his family, as a friend. Yeah. And to have that realization with Killmonger was an added, like, this movie is layers, it's a freaking onion, so many layers. Oh, it is. And all of them make you cry. <laughs> Every layer makes you cry. It, it it's does. A it's mi- it's a just, it's a roller coaster. There was so much emotion in this film, and I, I mean, I definitely still have to go see it again because, yes. I just <laughs> when you watch the movie, you're caught up in that roller coaster, and there are still things that I want to to see and absorb from the movie, well, other like, than just what was on the surface. Yeah, and when you go back, you'll see those like those little looks between people that you may not have picked up on, and the like nuances of the relationships that Ryan Coogler has written into these characters. Um, so expansive, and they really do like just sort of blossom as you watch it more and more because you just don't see it all the first time because you're so just taken in by everything that's happening. Um, and then just to see it again for me, obviously <laughs> three times in one weekend, but like so I'm coming from a <laughs> position of. It being imprinted on my brain. <laughs> Although I haven't seen it since Sunday. That's like four days ago, wow. guys. <laughs> are you are you okay? <laughs> I know. Right. I need to I need to return to Wakanda. <laughs> um Okay, and then we have to talk about Angela Bassett. Heavy hitter Angela Bassett playing T'Challa's mother. Um love her always. I've always loved her. But she just 
if you're going to pick like a regal queen of Wakanda, like oh, yeah. look no further than Angela Bassett. She is the perfect person for this role. Um, oh, I loved her. Yeah. I love her costumes. She had those sick earrings in the beginning. I was like, what are those earrings? Those are amazing. The costumes. We'll talk about those, but okay. Yeah, amazing. Angela Bassett, I mean, she had this great presence. She didn't have like a huge role, but she was, we regularly saw her throughout the film. And she still it's like a had support. This, yeah. And she still had this present that you would expect from the Queen Mother. Right. And, you know, very regal through much of the movie. And then when we get to the third act and, you know, she's now broken. She thinks she lost her son. And she's was essentially, you know, hauled away by Nakia, uh, both her and Shuri will, because Nakia knew that Killmonger was probably going to kill them. Mm-hmm. Um, given the fact that, you know, you, you had T'Challa's mother and sister there, uh, he would either... Well, when you stage a coup, the ruling family gets killed. <laughs> exactly. So, I mean, they would either get imprisoned or killed or, or, you know, something bad was going to happen to them. So Nakia was smart and, and got them out of there. And essentially, you know, we we didn't see it happen. We just saw we went from, you know, A to, to F. But when we got to that point where they are escaping from that central part of Wakanda, Ramonda is, is she's no longer in the queen's garb. She's in simpler clothes. There's no headpiece. There's nothing, nothing very colorful or extravagant. She, she knows that, you know, she needs to be low key. She, she can't be noticed and it's also kind of part of her shedding that role of, of Queen Mother, which she no longer is, essentially. She also so. still has a regality to her, even without her robes. Like, when she's huddling in the thing, you're still like, dude, she's still the queen. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but also there's, I love, again, another, like, layer that Ryan Coogler's put into his film is that, like, when Nakia and Agent Ross come in, up in the bushes, she is ready with a knife. She's a, a warrior as well. And you could mm-hmm. easily see her being, having been part of the Dora Milaje or, you know, what was her young life like in that she was raised as a Wakandan warrior just like anybody else. Yep. Um, uh, so I loved having that sort of layer in on her character, too, that, you know, like if she, if it came down to it, she could roll some shit. Yeah. <laughs> she could get entangled in the broil and hold her own for sure. Oh, um, completely. Completely. Yeah. Just the way Shuri can. We did not discuss Shuri's amazing, like, her panther paws. Oh, yeah. Um, her, like, vibranium panther paws when she comes out fighting Killmonger. Those and her little, so like, cool. teeth headdress on her, on her yes. like, part of her costume. Ah, I loved that. She's, like, the best. I love her so much. But let's, I mean, um, let, let's talk about some of the, 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 the costuming in this movie because it was kind of, it, it was another character. Uh, it was. Wait, we have to talk about we have to talk about Martin Freeman first. Okay. We do have to add him in okay, there. He is important. He is. He is. He just needed to be last. He can't be first <laughs> or in there. He had to be last. He is. So, um, so, yeah. So Martin Freeman, him. Agent Ross. Um, he he kind of takes this very unassuming role early on. We we first encounter him in the casino, and he is he clearly has this mission as a CIA agent to be intercepting Claw, and he's there acting as a buyer for the vibranium that Claw is selling. Um, I don't know if Claw knows that he's CIA or not. I think he does. I mean, the way that he interacts with him makes it seem like he knows exactly who he is. Yeah. 
Yeah, you're right. You're right. When actually. he's like, I didn't bring all these people to deal with you, you know, because he knows that the Wakandans are there. So he's like, I did not bring these people to deal with you. And he's like, right. little CIA man, I don't need you. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah <laughs> you know, th- thinking back on it, I, I think you're right. I, I think he did know who he was. But then it's just so odd that he wouldn't think that he's being set up. And, and, and he well, actually, I think that's why he brought all the extra men that he did know he was. That's why he's saying, like, I didn't bring these. Oh, you, Ross, you're saying why Ross didn't know he was being set up. Well, no, why Claw, well. No, Claw knew because he brought all the extra people. He's like, I don't need these people for you. Like, he knew what was going well, on. but Claw didn't bring all those people thinking that he was being set up by Ross. He just kind of thought he's somewhere in there. There's some risk because I don't think he knew about T'Challa being there or anyone from Wakanda. Maybe not. I got the sense that he he was bringing back up because he knew Wakan- the Wakandans were coming. It, it, and very well could be. Very very well. But could maybe be. I'm just intoning that that didn't exist. I just it felt that way to me because he's like, why else would he bring all those people if he even says I didn't bring these people for you, Ross? Oh yeah. And then you think, well, he must have brought him for T'Challa then, because who else is he bringing him for? And, and he did roll up with a small army. Um, yeah, you know, I mean, he and and you know, walked into the uh, into the casino, and, and of course, it's funny because everyone's like all concerned about the metal detectors and stuff, and his guys just walk right through. <laughs> they don't care. With, they don't without care a at all. care at all. <sighs> and then uh, you know, o- o- Okoya doesn't know how to be a spy, so she basically gives herself away. And then <laughs> she's so lucky. <laughs> yeah, and then that just you know causes the the whole thing, and she throws the wig and. Well, the other thing, the other thing I really liked about Martin Freeman being like a piece in this movie uh, tied to the greater Marvel universe, obviously, because he plays a part in Civil War um, and is an important piece in the Marvel universe overall, um, given his role in the Sokovia Accords and all of that. So you see him interact in Civil War, which grounds the movie as being part of the MCU. Mm-hmm. Um even further than T'Challa being in Civil War himself. Right. And I also think it's very funny. Martin Martin Freeman himself is British, but he's playing an American. But mm-hmm. you could not have gotten a more white person to be in this movie. Oh, he play, yeah. Like, he's already the whitest person because he's British. And then he plays it, like, so much whiter. And the juxtaposition of being in this, like, proud African Wakandan black movie that's, that's like, perfectly represents the culture of Africa and the um, the languages and yeah. the just the colors and everything is so on point. And then you pick the whitest dude to, oh, yeah. to like be the CIA American operative. I, I thought that was brilliant casting and brilliant uh, juxtaposition of if you're going to oh, bring anyone so in from the MCU, it doesn't pull focus away from the main story, the most important part, the thing we're there to see, yeah. but it still grounds it and adds a little level of like, I don't just funny uh, humor also like to say like it, it also like allows Ross to notice like no his place in the world isn't what he thought. He walks in thinking like I'm CIA. I'm American. Yeah, like you're, we're going to do it my way. Uh-huh. And they're like, cool, cool, cool. No. Yeah. <laughs> well, and, and Martin Freeman is I mean, he's such a great actor and he can play very serious roles with a lot of depth. And he can also use subtle humor in there too, and that was a lot of his character was these. He had these these humor, the, these subtleties with a lot of humor in them as as he went through, and um, you know bringing him to, uh, bringing him to Wakanda was just so funny. Um, yeah, and and, and, I, sure, I and what was it? Shuri's perfect. line was like, "Oh, good, another white guy for me to fix." 
Uh, <laughs> little, little subtle hint to Bucky Barnes. So it was <laughs> that was just great, and and he had, you know, you kind of thought that his role was over with, but they really extended his role in the movie, and he played an important role too, which I just thought was was terrific. So. Well, yeah, and like the right amount. Like you don't you don't want him to have this like pivotal role or or save Wakanda. Like I don't I, if he if he had had any more of a role than he did, I would have been like, why yeah. is he the one coming in here saving things when these are powerful Wakandas? They don't need him. Right. But that was the the beautiful part of it was like you know they're all like we don't need you, and he's like yeah, but every every bit helps. Yeah, and that's the point. That is the perfect point to make as far as his role in this movie Mm -hmm. every bit does help and that's what i also really loved his relationship with shuri because i thought they had like a beautiful sort of like um mentor mentee relationship with shuri being the mentor because she's like cool you don't know about my tech like let me tell you how it works you you know how to fly planes like you're gonna need my help (laughs) i love that the the relationships there were so many subtleties of relationships through this movie and, and the interactions that i think added so much depth to it yeah, I mean, they, they could have it could have been written and directed and acted so differently to just make this a just like any other movie. Um, yeah. And, and they just they dug deep in every aspect with this, I thought there there was. Um, so I'll, I'll throw a little shade at Lou here, because one of Lou's comments on the movie was that he didn't think there was enough character development. What? And. You know, it's it's funny because, well, in a lot of cases, there wasn't a lot of character development. Yeah, but it didn't need it, did it? Exactly. That's pretty much my point, was that we got to know just enough about these characters. And through their relationships and their interactions, we had all we needed to know to make this movie successful. Yeah. And and I, to me, it's a positive that we want to know more about these characters. It's a positive that we want... It, you know what? You give me a standalone movie with Shuri in it, and I will be there on opening night. Oh, oh, I will have, I will see it three times opening weekend and give it all my money. I'll see it five times opening weekend. You know, these characters had so much depth and they were so interesting, and I loved it. And yes, it absolutely made me want more. And I, and I, I'm hoping that that's actually where Lou was, was that he wants to know more about the characters, but he didn't need to know more about the characters. And maybe on, on Sunday when we record random chatter with him, we'll, we'll have a little bit of an opportunity to, to, uh, dig into that either in the episode or, or in the bonus content. Oh, Lou. To kind of pick his brain. I'm coming for you, bro. (laughs) You better watch it. I have so much to say. First of all, I mean, Okay. Uh, Nakia had beautiful character development in that she really was like very settled on her path. I'm not staying. You want me to stay? That's not what I'm going to do. And she had this beautiful arc of like realizing her love for T'Challa, how important that was to have lost him and to get him back. How, how, what her country does mean to her because Okoye says like, I care about my country. What do you care about? And she's like, I do care about my country in the only way that I know how. And she even gets to have a development within that. I think you see development in T'Challa and his, Mm -hmm. the platform that he puts T'Chaka on that he falls off of because he realizes that his father is a man who made a mistake and he never should have left Killmonger there in the first place. If he and Zuri had brought Killmonger home, they wouldn't have been in that position. Right. Um, 
So there's these beautiful. They're subtle though. They're not like oh Tony Stark was a jackass and now he like loves people. <laughs> that's but right. that's like an overt character arc that that these characters don't need and that makes them stronger because I don't think everybody needs like I was doing drugs and then I stopped moment. Yeah. There's there's so much in between that's subtle that you. It's not overt. They're not overt character arcs, but they do exist, and I think that's what makes them stronger and more interesting because you really have to be looking for them and watching out for the subtleties of how these characters have changed over time. Oh, yeah. So wrong. Well, and there's so (laughs) many interesting story elements in this. I mean, fundamentally, this is a hero's journey. A little bit Mm -hmm. different. I mean, not... You know, not a straight-laced hero's journey. There's there's a couple of different ebbs and flows to it that that we see brought into this. One big thing I think that that we saw definitely in the first two acts uh, for me and and a lot of our listeners know you know that I'm a huge James Bond fan, and there were so many components to this story that were reflections of James Bond. And uh, so after the movie and talking about it with different people and um, I had a couple of people, including someone on on Discord, ask, bring it up to me, knowing that I'm a Bond fan, like, hey, the casino in South Korea in this movie looked an awful lot like the casino in Macau in in Skyfall. Yeah, I thought that too. So I, I dug into it. I did a little bit of research. As it turns out, completely different. The uh, Skyfall Casino was a soundstage uh, done in uh, Pinewood in in uh, uh, in the UK, and the South Korea Casino was done in a soundstage in Pinewood, Atlanta. So, uh, two completely different things. Similar tones, similar tones, colorization, the the bridge the at the top. But yeah, 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 yeah. So a lot of those things were were very similar with it. Um, we, as I mentioned, you know, Shuri kind of played this role of, of a Q mm-hmm. and, you know, did it incredibly. Um, we had, you know, Claw being an arms dealer and so T'Challa going after him and, and just a lot of different elements and little undertones that had a lot of similarity to what we see in James Bond. And I found out. Uh, later on, after, after seeing the movie, a uh, couple days later, as I was reading some different articles on it, one of Ryan Cooler's inspirations for this was, in fact, James Bond. It was he he mentioned this in an interview in an interview that he was in. Huh. I can't remember who the interview was with. Maybe Entertainment Tonight. And someone, I think the the production team actually said, "Hey, look, we kind of want to do this." spy James Bondy kind of thing. And he said, okay, I'll, I'll try to make that happen. And I think he was pretty darn successful in doing that. That's funny. Cause I really, I mean, other, yes, I, I did think, Oh, Sherry's sort of like his cue, but even she like, didn't feel like Q. She very felt like her own person, supporting him in that way and aside from the the casino in Bouchon I didn't really think like oh this movie reminds me at all of a James Bond like there the casino definitely I was like that looks like a skyfall mm-hmm. casino but that was the only time when I was like oh just the scenery but the tone itself I felt was so more nuanced than a James Bond movie t- tends to hit oh yeah that I didn't yeah. feel like that to me at all yeah I, um, I, so it's it's 
Actually, when you were saying that, I was like, yeah, but did he do it to make it like Bond? And so yeah, apparently so. Yeah, and, and, um, and it was and it was done interesting. Very, yeah, it was done very subtly. I mean, there were influences, but it wasn't. It's not like a, a, a direct analog of it. So yeah. Which is even better because yeah. you don't want to go into a Black Panther movie and have it be like, oh, it's James Bond at all. Exactly. But the overtone, I mean, everything is derivative at this point, of course. <laughs> we all, everyone always says that. Everything's sure. derivative of something. Um, so it's it's cool to know that that's an influence of his because now that you say that, of, of course they're in there. I just didn't, it's not over, it doesn't hit you over the head with it. But if you're a big James Bond fan like you are or like I am, there are tones of it that are really nice. Um, without being like super overt. So that's a really nice, I didn't know that he had that as an influence. So that's cool. Yeah. Yeah. I thought that was pretty Oh, nice. fun fact, Timothy. <laughs> so <laughs> there, there's one thing in the story that, um, a number of folks have, have brought up and I'll, I'll, I'll throw Lou under the bus again, just cause it's convenient to do so. <laughs> Lou, what's it like under that bus, bro? <laughs> And that was kind of the transition into uh, generally from the second act into the third act where Killmonger took out Claw and then he shows up in Wakanda and the tone of the movie seemed to change things. It was, it just, it became different. It, did, did you, what, what did you pick up from that? What are your, what are your thoughts on that? Um, you mean, I mean, just overall of it because he takes the throne or? Uh, no, even like, like bigger, kind of a more macro level where huh. it just seemed to break pace a little bit. You know, the, the, the film hit a certain pace through the first two acts and then it just kind of did this weird little thing as it transitioned into the third act. And to me, it then ended up fine. But there was just this little disruption that, like, didn't seem to be as smooth. Um, from I did not notice no? that at all. Okay. I think the only thing that changed for I don't I don't ever notice things like that, especially unless it's a movie that doesn't capture me and take me for the whole ride. Like, super notice that in well, we won't name the movies that you know that I'm thinking <laughs> of. Um, I don't want to dig at anything, but you know what I'm talking about. Um, there, I don't know. I just don't notice things like that if I'm sucked into it because mm-hmm. I'm not a critic and I'm not very analytical. Really, on really when I'm watching it, I'm not an analytical person. Sure. I really come after it and I say like, oh, these are the things that I noticed, or these are what I liked, or this is my problem with it. But when I'm watching it, that stuff does not go through my brain. The only thing I'll say is that I feel like again, when we were talking about the timeline. I feel like the very the first two halves of the or the first two parts of the movie really didn't feel like I didn't know how, what time between things. I was like, I don't know how much time is between this. And then the end, you know that this is all like happening back to back at one time. Yeah, so that's the only thing that I guess I could notice. But like, no, I mean, I felt like it made sense. And it was a culmination of sort of Eric Killmonger's like life's goal and his whole pursuit. And he's finally getting what he wants. And it's. Like the tragic tone it takes is completely appropriate for where they're going with the story. Oh, sure. For him to take the tone and the, you know, I don't know. I didn't notice anything like that. But I don't, again, it's only because I'm not analytical or observational on that level. I'm just like, I'm in love with this. <laughs> even the third time, even the third time, I still don't see those things. And someone's like, hey, did you notice this? And I'm like, no, all I saw was the thing that I love. <laughs> I just, yeah, that's not and, me. You know, I, I don't know how they could have written it better because it really. I mean, there was a, the story had to make that transition. Killmonger killed Claw, Killmonger goes to Wakanda, Killmonger does his thing. So 
there just there had to be that transition. Um, so I don't. Maybe it was just. I mean, I know it wasn't like which just part me. specifically. Like, was there a scene where it felt that way, or like what was? No, it it truly was. Killmonger killed Claw, and then boom, right from that point. And I I think maybe the big oh, thing, like him going to Wakanda. Yeah, and I think maybe the big thing there is that because the first two acts of the movie are Wakanda and then other places in the world, whereas the third act was just Wakanda, and just mm-hmm. focused on that and. Killmonger gets introduced as this essentially a new villain after he took out who we saw as the big bad for the first two acts. So there were these these very significant story changes, which changed the focus of of the film. And like I said, I'm okay with it. It was it felt a little awkward at first to me, but in the end, it seemed to it, it found its pace again. So, yeah, pace is never something that I'm like, oh, the pace of the movie, like, forget it. <laughs> I don't don't care. <laughs> so I think there's... other than that of like not really understanding like what time frame we were working in. That's the only thing I was like, I don't know how much time has passed between when he got Nakia from the mission and when, you know, who knows? That's the only thing for me. I was like, I don't know when this is fitting in the world. Yes. And, and I, I wondered that, too. Like, OK, so when did the. You know, we know when his father got killed, but when was the part of Civil War of, you know, our heroes fighting heroes? When did that occur relative to this timeline in the movie? So that well, I think this is I think this is a week because that all happens in like a span of like no time at all from when T'Chaka dies to when they're fighting (laughs) in the airport. That's like zero time. That happens all very, very quick. So this is a week after the death of T'Chaka. So you'd think days ago you know i mean baron zemo's died days ago right and it definitely happened before he returned to wakanda because when he returned to wakanda he got a new suit right so because shuri gave him the new suit so was this on the way home from that like is okoye taking him home from the events of civil war possibly because he's watching it all happen on the screen i mean that makes sense to me could very well be and then he's because what else Nakia might know that T'Chaka had died earlier. Yeah. How long would her mission be? You know. Right. Right. So from that perspective, if he's coming back from the events of Civil War, that would make a lot of sense. Absolutely. And then it's just it's just a matter of when he gets Nakia. Then they cut to like they're talking in the marketplace. Like that could be any amount of time. Right. Yeah. You know. Yep. That's the only thing that I was like, I just don't know the timing. And again, I was like, ah, but I don't care because <laughs> I love it so much. Like, I don't care at all. Um, but that does bring us to the question of the greater MCU, if we want to get into that. Oh, but first, can we talk about the costumes and the like the use of African culture, the language, the just everything feeling so authentic, perfectly done. Zero things wrong. Amazing. Oscar to goes to Black Panther forever. I, I will tell you, I'm inclined to agree. I think it was vi- visually, it was an absolutely beautiful movie. Stunning. Um, the backgrounds were incredible. There was a nice mix of obviously. There's a lot of CG that was used um, to to do certain things, but it was a nice mix of special effects and practical effects, and it, it was incredible. And, and just to so many degrees, I mean, everything from here's the wide shot of Wakanda. To, mm. you know, some of the, you know, weapons that they had in their hands and, and that kind of stuff. It was it was just amazing. 
Yeah. Oh, even to like the soul universe, um, the heart shaped herb, uh, universe that's created from what we think is the soul stone, obviously. Um, when, when he's having sort of the moment with his father and when Killmonger is having the moment with his father, you see that like beautiful purpley pinky blue sky outside telling you that you're in the soul universe. Um, I just, I just visually stunning. Um, <coughs> the costumes were beautiful. I, I, I shared this amazing thread on um, Twitter yes. and it was a breakdown of all of the costumes and like where each, uh, where they got them from each place in Africa, from what, uh, you know, what cultural background each piece has yes. um, from the, from the, the lip plates to the neck rings, to the patterns. Um, yep. uh, just, ah, so good from, as a person who has a fashion background, um, just there's this, the one scene when they're, they're all coming out to do the, the ceremony on the water's edge and they're all saying like Wakanda forever. And you do that wide shot of like all the different tribes, the four tribes, um, the fifth tribe is obviously Mbaku's tribe, but the four tribes of Wakanda just standing on the like mountains and just chanting and singing and like joyfully. I like cried. I was like, this is like, this is so beautiful. And this is what more movie making should be like. It should be representative. It should be uh, inclusive and it should be joyous. And it Mm -hmm. should just, this is exactly what it should be like. And it was, I was like, Ryan Coogler for the Oscar again, (laughs) all the Oscars to Ryan Coogler. It was such uh, an incredible setting that, that waterfall and the, the juxtaposition of the setting with, well, we're, we're there for, a, a fight uh, to the death potentially and everything grounded in tradition. Like you said, the, the different tribes and the, the different costume and yeah, that, that thread on, on Twitter, I, I read it also and it was absolutely amazing. Just the influences, the, the pan-African influences that came from different countries and traditionally different tribal areas that were drawn upon for this movie and it was it was beautiful it was absolutely incredible just to see all these different things come together and um you know i thought it was it was a terrific representation of a broader culture you know i mean obviously every every tribe and, and every region within africa has its own particular subculture but when you look at the the kind of the pan african culture and and uh, uh, they had an opportunity in this movie to do this much broader representation and kind of bring them together in an artificial world and i think they just did it so beautifully and amazingly and and it all i don't i don't know what you mean by artificial world because wakanda is real so we just haven't seen it yet obviously they're protecting their borders but like they're real it's real Um, costume directors, Ruth Carter, um, let's see, I don't know what else she's done, but I love her and I (laughs) want to know, she did Selma and she did Amistad. Ooh, nice. Roots. Mm -hmm. She did Malcolm X, um, Marshall, like some great things here. Lots of some period stuff, some updated stuff. I think she did the butler. Um, the, I just loved the costume from the Dora Milaje's like, like warrior garb with the yeah. neck rings and, and like the bright the, red colors and yeah and the strong gold on mm-hmm. the general mm-hmm. and the silver on the soldiers um to to the options in the black 
Panther costume, you know, Killmonger's gold flashier version and Black mm-hmm. Panther's um with the purple nanotechnology in there, which I thought was super cool. Yeah, that, that was pretty neat. That was no joke. Yeah, yeah, so that, even that was like, neat tech. Even the costume within the world of Black Panther is like the nanotech and the stuff. Like those pieces were were amazing too. Yeah. I like that part when Shuri was like, "What are your sandals?" <laughs> she has like the shoes for him um like stuff like that just little touches that were added in to make you feel more authentic in the world and just ah i love it well but but what did she... i just made this noise all weekend ah! ah but but what did she call the new shoes that she gave him <laughs> sneakers <laughs> get it get it because they don't make any sound <laughs> it, it i was, loved that it was great it really was a beautiful movie um Wonderful. Uh, are, are there any other things that you want to bring up with? I mean, like we kind of talked about the story through the characters in this. And, and we oftentimes talk about the cast and the characters. But this list was even longer than we usually talk yeah, about we, on, on we, the show. We touched but. on a lot of the other points through talking about the characters yeah. because you sort of get. Now, there is a character that we probably should talk about. And that is James Buchanan Barnes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So if if, if why you, do you not like that? Because I don't like Bucky. What? I am not a Bucky fan, and I will be what? so pissed if they give so the mantle wrong. of Captain America to him. No, I, they won't. They're giving it to Falcon. Forget I that. absolutely hope it goes to Falcon. No, no, it's Falcon. <laughs> but Bucky's important, and I love him. But no, he doesn't get to be Cap. I just as much as I love him, he does not get to be Cap. Um, so yeah, to talk about the the post credit scene with Bucky. Okay, so post credit scene, which and okay, we have to talk about the fact that lots of people left during the credits, and I was like, why are people still leaving? But this is what someone on Twitter said, and I was like, okay, this makes sense. This movie is opening this this world up to a broader audience that maybe have not been going to Marvel movies for ten years. Absolutely. I watched, I watch a lot of Instagram stories, and one of my favorite people is Busy Phillips. She was in Dawson's mm-hmm. Creek, and she was in Freaks and Geeks in Cougar Town, and she. The only other Marvel movie she's ever seen is Iron Man 1. And so she oh, was saying, yeah. I don't know, because it's, it means it's more than just a movie. It's a cultural movement. It's a touchstone for our time than just a film. So sometimes movies transcend just being a movie, and this is one of those times. And so because opening up to a broader culture, people have never seen um, uh, a Marvel movie or maybe they've seen one or two, but don't necess- they're not embroiled in it the way we are. Um the the girl on Twitter was like, so what you need to do is stand up and say, don't leave, there's more. <laughs> like, inform your audience that there is more because they may genuinely not know. Not just I'm going to leave because I don't care. It's they genuinely don't know maybe. And that, that was yeah. like, oh, I didn't even think about that. So to think about it from a perspective of someone who's not completely embroiled in everything the Marvel Universe ever puts out, which there are people like that apparently. I mean, I guess not everybody <laughs> um, sets their clock by the Marvel Universe <laughs> like me. Um, but so yeah. the very, very last, there's the mid credit scene, which is when he's having his press conference and basically announcing himself to the world. Um, and a reporter says like, why, what do you have to offer to the world? And then he sort of smirks and then it ends, goes into the credit because 
Yes. The other thing I loved about that was the end of the movie when the kid goes, but who are you? And he makes that smirk when he's like, I'm Black Panther. It was the exact, and we're, we're approaching the 10-year anniversary. The release of Iron Man was on May 2nd, 2008. We're approaching that 10-year anniversary. And at the end of Iron Man, the first MCU movie, it's who am I? I'm Iron Man. And he cockily says it in the cocky manner and the like, I am right. the be-all and end-all of superheroes. And this is like the quiet, silent, um, humble knowledge of a superhero who doesn't need to be that it doesn't need to be that because he knows who he is knows of Wakanda and he doesn't need to say it and the juxtaposition of T'Challa and Iron Man is such a beautiful I think I hope we get more of that because they are polar opposites in the way that they and the the people that they are at their heart and their soul yet they still have good and they still want to do good it's just they're completely opposite people so that (laughs) that mid-credit scene when he's when they're asking like what do you even have to offer the world and they all like sort of look at each other and they're like oh you don't even know (laughs) um but then at the very at the end so stay for the end watch the names be a part of the people who are part of this movie and watch their names um it's they're in like uh, Shuri's out there with there's some huts and there's some children looking at somebody and we don't know who it is yet. And then we see him come out and it's Bucky and Shuri and Bucky have this beautiful moment when she's just checking in with him and he's like, thank you for what you did. And so really, it's a really touching moment. I really liked that moment. Um, setting up a little like something, a, not relationship, but like a relationship between the two of them in somebody who has fixed him, who has made him better, has calmed his mind. <clears throat> Um, and yeah. she says, your training's not over. And so that sort of leads you into the where we're going to be going with Infinity War um, and Bucky's role, greater role in the MCU, which leads us to the question of how does this fit into yeah. the greater MCU with this being the only movie between now and Infinity War? It's an interesting question, especially since we didn't get, uh, as we expected, we, we kind of expected to see the reveal of the last Infinity Gem. And, and like you said, we we they may have hinted at it. Well, I don't know. I don't know that they overtly hinted, and nobody who watches it without knowing the Infinity Stone stuff will ever even think that. And I didn't even think it necessarily till I read and watched a couple YouTube videos and theories and stuff, and I was like, oh, that's exactly what it is. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and it, it may have to do with that whole tie-in with the um, with those plants that that produce. Uh, the the whatever it is that seed or something that helps turn heart shaped or yeah the, the the Black Panther into the Black Panther and that's deriving something from the soil which is uh getting something leached into it that uh, came from the asteroid that hit Earth long long time ago and that's where they're getting the vibranium from and and so I mean it's if if you follow this kind of train of things. Yeah, I think that's where it's going. And even before the movie, that's what a lot of people had thought, that it would have something to do with the vibranium. Well, and the fact that we don't know where the the soul stone's the only one that we don't know where it is. And the fact that the heart-shaped herb opens up the door to the soul plane um, so that Black Panther can commune with the souls of the past. (laughs) uh, That is the the exact power that the soul stone has. So it makes sense that it would be the soul stone. um, Yet also it doesn't hit you over the head with it, which is one of my things I was worried about is that this movie would be beholden to the greater universe so much because we don't have any other movies between now and infinity war to bridge that gap. I was like, I don't want that for this movie. I want to have T'Challa's story be its own story and not be beholden to this, the 
the greater story. And if Guardians of the Galaxy 2 and Thor 3 weren't beholden to the greater story, then neither should Black Panther be. Right. Because Thor Thor 3 and, and Guardians of the Galaxy 2 did not advance the story that much in order for yeah, us to feel well. like they're stepping stones to the Infinity yeah. War. So if they put it on Black Panther's shoulders, that would cut his his impact it would make it it would make his movie a stepping stone and i was like that is not about to happen i will be so pissed (laughs) (laughs) and and they definitely didn't do that which which was good not at all i i I think you know it's it's looking more and more what we're going to see despite marvel saying no this isn't it we're gonna see a part one and part two of infinity war we we absolutely are and while they've said well, no, the movie after it is really going to be the aftermath of Infinity War. No, the whole damn thing, both movies are really going to encompass everything that we think Infinity War is going to be. Yeah, maybe at, yeah, the, end of, think- at the end of the first movie, the end of the actual Infinity War movie, is probably when Thanos is going to achieve his omnipotence through uh, actually completing the, the, the gauntlet. And saying, screw you, you know, screw you all and, and, you know, kills a bunch of people. And then that's where the movie's going to end. Uh, I mean, I, I, I think they're going to do this like a, like a Lord of the Rings thing. Like, hey, Gandalf died and, oh, see you later. See you for the next movie. Um, like, I think that's where they're going to go with it. And I'm fine with it. But I just wish Marvel would be upfront about it and say, yeah, it really is a two-part thing. Yeah, but why? Because that gives everything away. It's nicer to not know what's going to happen. Why do we have to know everything? We know everything. We don't need to know everything. But it's such... <laughs> but, well, but we've even talked about it earlier just in in this recording. It's such a big film. There's so many things. Thanos has to actually go get the, the, the stones. Well, this is one thing I think. I think Thanos... Go ahead. You oh, finish. Well, Sorry, and, finish and I off. think a big reason for so many of the actors from Black Panther to have credits in Infinity War is because Thanos has to make a freaking visit to Wakanda. Right, because it's wholesome. And he's going to come with his shovel and he's going to start digging and digging under Wakanda to find that the heart of that asteroid. And conveniently, it's going to fit into his that little spot in his glove. And that's how all this shit's going to go down. And he, but he better bring a good, sh- not the little sand shovel with the bucket. He has to bring a, you know, good quality kind of shovel because he has a lot of digging well, to do. Okay. We have to also think that, and this is what I really like about what Marvel's doing with not giving us too much of a reveal. And that I'm excited about, cause I don't, I think that we know too much as a movie going audience on a broad scale with most movies going into trailers and seeing all these things. We know a lot going into a movie and here is something where they're really holding their cards. And I think what's happening is Thanos is, is pulling the strings and working behind the scenes. He's been working since Avengers one and we just don't know in what ways yet. And Mm -hmm. I love that we don't know exactly what the Avengers don't know. The entire group of Avengers have no idea what's coming for them and neither do we. And we don't know how that's going to play out and we're going to be as unaware as they are. Mm -hmm. And I think that that is beautiful and we never get that in movies anymore. And I also think everybody's thinking linearly, like in a linear way about what it means to have Infinity War sequels. Marvel doesn't work really in sequels, except for with Iron Man and sort of with Guardians of the Galaxy 1 and 2. Mm -hmm. They don't work in like 
cap one, cap two, cap three, cap four, cap 12, whatever. They don't work that way. They say this is a piece of the story that has Winter Soldier. This is the piece of the story that has to do with Civil War. This is the piece of the story that has to do with Ragnarok. These, All of these pieces go together in a greater story, but they don't work. They work on their own as well as, as in a as in the greater, broader scope. So I think the way that they're thinking is this is the Infinity War piece. We were going to do two, but now what we're going to do is tell the second half of the story, but in a different way. It's going to have its own name. It's going to be Avengers 4. It's going to be the end of the old era, the beginning of the era. It's going to wrap up the, the Thanos storyline. But I think it really is going to be its own, like, whatever, Avengers, blah, blah, blah. Rather than Avengers... Infinity War 1 and Infinity War 2. They just don't work that way if you look at the way they number their movies. They only have labeled Iron Man as 1, 2, three, one, two and 3. And even Guardians of the Galaxy, while they're named Volume 1 and Volume 2, Volume itself allows it to be its own identity and not beholden to the first sure. thing. You know, like it's a, a volume gets to still be its own thing. So I, I just think we're thinking, yeah, that because that's what we want and we don't know the story. I think everybody thought that about Civil War, too. They were like, how are you going to get there? And they did yeah. in a beautiful way. Civil War is strong as hell and it's a great movie. And it puts so many pieces together that shouldn't fit beautifully. Like it should that movie should not work. And it does. <laughs> um, and I just think that that's what we're getting in Infinity War. And we're and we want to see like, uh, I I think what we don't want to see is Thanos collecting the gems. We want to see him have like four of the three of the gems or however many gems he has now, which he has some of them, um, or he's about to get them. You know, I don't want to see him going around collecting them all. I want to see him fight them, which means he's already got almost all of them. So the build up to that doesn't need to be us knowing what he's doing or no or knowing where the gems are even because the Avengers don't know where the gems are. So right. we're on par with them. So I feel like we want to like know all the answers, but then what's the point of the movie? Right. You know, so like I, I loved just the amount like of tie in <clears throat> with with Ross, with Claw having been in Age of Ultron and with Bucky being at the end, knowing that a half of the characters in Wakanda are going to be in this movie because the fight's going to come to Wakanda. Mm-hmm. I think that's a beautiful that's that is a, the, the biggest nod that the that everybody could give to us that the soul stone is in Wakanda because it's just no other way that it, it if it's not there, we're all going to be really shocked because it doesn't make yeah. sense. But I do, I do like, I think I just have a really wide berth of trust, but I really think that they're going to do a great job with it and that we're going to be like, oh, we didn't need to know that, you know? Yeah. Oh, I, I, I absolutely do too. I just know that it's going to take two movies to, to get there. And, it, and, yeah, and, but and I don't because think I think they need to name them and, that for that. No. And, and that's, that's, that's fine. And I mean, they, they can, you know, they can name it whatever they want. I, I'm just kind of looking for them to be upfront with the fact that. You know, when initially they said, oh, we're, well, we're going to have Infinity War Part 1 and Part 2. Uh, no, no, no. We're not going to do that. We're going to have Infinity War. Then we're going to have something else. And, well, is the something else a Part 2? Well, no. It's really the aftermath. It's the same damn story. And, you know, I, I just... And, and I know we had a lot of these concerns going into Civil War. Because Civil War is also a big story. And... They managed to contain it into one movie, and I was impressed all the hell with that. But when I, I just, you know, I don't think that they can pull it all off in one movie this time because he does have to, get, Thanos does have to get the stones, and then we have to have, you know, the, the big war over them, and then we have to resolve it. So, you know, and I'm fine with it being, with it being a, a, a two-parter. I'm, I'm totally good with that. 
but yeah, I mean, that's definitely what we have to look forward to. And we're going to see uh, Infinity War in May. May May is a big... We're almost two months away. Yeah. Two two plus months away. So it's, it's real close. Um, May is going to be a big month. We are... So next, do we want to talk about what we're doing next month? Sure. Okay. We're going to have like seven episodes in May, aren't we? <laughs> uh, yeah, because I think May is going to be a real busy month. So for, for, for March, um, our two episodes, uh, because we, we were, Liz and I were kind of looking at the films that are coming out in March. And we said, well, gee, the only one that we really, really want to do is the new Pacific Rim movie. And, well... But gosh, if we do that, and that comes out later in the month, so what do we do earlier in the month? Well, we might as well do the first Pacific Rim movie. Oh, yeah. Hopefully you guys like Pacific Rim. If you don't, you're going to be really disappointed with our next two episodes. Um, but hopefully you'll, you'll give them a shot. So earlier in, in the month of, um, of March, we're going to do the first Pacific Rim film. And then later in the month, we will do the second Pacific Rim. Um, and then we'll figure out what we're going to do in April um, but you know, we don't want to really tax ourselves because May is going to be busy. May has three big movies that I think we, we really do need to cover. Um, you uh, know, yeah. we, we've, we've got infinity war in the beginning of the month. We have, uh, the second Deadpool movie in the middle of the month. And then at the very end of the month, we have uh solo tiny, tiny little movie. Yeah. Tiny so we'll movie. have solo, which, which actually we, we're not going to record an episode until June for that because since that's right at the very end of May. Yeah. But it's That one's going to be an interesting episode, I think. Yeah, yeah. Well, and May will be one of those months that I think we we will in fact be living in the theater. Yes. You know I already do, so it's fine. I'm already at <laughs> the troll under your seat. That's that's a lot of Oh, who's time. under there, Bots Lizzie? <laughs> uh, but we should get to wrapping this episode up. And I like I feel oh, yeah. like we didn't get through enough of Black Panther, but we really we did talk about a lot of it. No, I feel like we could probably spend two more hours talking about it, but we can't have a five hour yeah, episode. No, no. But gosh, what what a great movie. I, I really like the movie, and so I'm going to now talk about the thing that Liz doesn't like to talk about. Yeah, but I told you I'm ready. I don't care. We're good. You, do, you do yours. Go um, ahead. I'm ready. For me, I mean, this was a... Black Panther was a solid, enjoyable movie. It, you know, while there were a couple of, of little things, like I mentioned, like that that transition from the second act into the third act, that that kind of left me hanging for a little bit. It really just it that did not knock my overall enjoyment of the movie. And I was really blown away by a lot of things here. So I'm I'm giving this movie don't look at me like that. Don't look at me <laughs> They can't see how I'm looking at you. Like you can guess, viewers. You can totally guess. Um I'll send a gif of it later when this episode I'm ends. I'm gonna give I'm gonna give this movie do I wanna go nine point five? I mean that's that's really high, but this was a good movie. I mean maybe mm-hmm. maybe like a nine point three if I want to go what? go there. Like it, why would you go there? It was, I, it was just don't you don't you shortchange T'Challa, King of Wakanda? I, no, I'm you not, give him I'm what not he deserves. Shortchanging, I you you okay nine point five. Let's change Oh, you 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 just broke up there. I, no, I did not. I did. No, seriously, you did. You're you're broken up on oh. Skype again. 
It's and no, it's not a it's not a staticky thing. It's just it's a it's a Skype thing. Why does Skype hate my life? Okay, am I back? Kind of. Check testing testing. Why are you doing this to me? Yeah, I I can hear Skype. your video is broken up, but I can hear you now. Ah, okay, okay. Um, I gave it a hundred. <laughs> <laughs> Which I can do because I don't care about your scale. I give it whatever I want, and I gave it a hundred. That's fine. A hundred, a hundred waffles, and a hundred unicorns, and a hundred shiny gold pennies. Waffles. Yeah, a hundred waffles are delicious. <sighs> they're the the hundred dollar bill of food. I don't know what you're talking about. Wow. Okay, waffles. That's that's all right. I mean, unicorns. Sure, I can see yeah. unicorns if you're so inclined. Shiny gold. Yeah, and waffles. Coins or whatever. Sure, that's that's cool. But waffles, that's... All right. Okay. Why would you not give it 100 waffles? I, waffles are good. They're not great. Would you like 100 pancakes instead? Pancakes are better. Why are pancakes better? Waffles have little pockets and you can put stuff in them. You can cover them with powdered sugar like this, like a little mountain, and then you can put a strawberry on top, and things fit in the pocket. <laughs> okay, it's too long on waffles. Wait, okay, one thing we forgot to talk about is the music curated by Kendrick Lamar. Oh, um, yes. hello. Yep. The music in this film, there's, like, the, the beautiful chords when he, the realization, the music when he's like, realizes uh, what happened and when he goes back in, or into the soul universe. It felt very operatic to me. I just thought it was, like, this beautiful, like, juxtaposition of the scenery and the music. Um, love the soundtrack. Go get the soundtrack. 100% wonderful. Yeah. So I give it 100. Pancake waffles. Pancake waffles. <laughs> and <laughs> all the good words. All the good points. All the good everything. It gets all of them. Okay. That's 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 fair. Um, well, I guess maybe starting with the next movie, we'll just start awarding food. Um, yeah, that's way better. <laughs> all right, folks. Well, we I can award things food, and, and it can be much more accurate than a number value. I can give you. I can guarantee you that. I, I believe it. I believe it, uh, folks. We want to know okay. your thoughts on Black Panther. Your thoughts on uh, our episode here of Movie Rampage, and your thoughts on awarding waffles to films. Uh, so you can send us your feedback at movierampage at randomchatter.com. Yeah, we'll put some polls out where you can vote either pancakes or waffles. Decide how, uh, what you want to do. Give <laughs> give movies pancakes or waffles. Um, and you can also find us online at facebook.com slash randomchatter. Where that is a great place for you to let us know other thoughts. And also hit us up on Twitter at movierampagepod at Random Chatter, and then individually I am at Nerd in the City, and Tim is at Qui-Gon Tim. That's Tim with two M's. Uh, we definitely appreciate uh, you spreading the word and supporting us. Uh, please leave us some reviews on iTunes and Google Play. Um, I, I'm asking this, and now I'm going to be very stern about this, because actually two nights ago, I was looking through reviews um, across the shows in the network, and there are no reviews yet for Movie Rampage. But please take a moment to jump into iTunes and leave us some reviews or, or wherever else um, you get your podcast from that, that, you can, um, uh, that you can leave reviews. Click on all the stars, write in, you know, just a sentence or two would be great uh, just to tell folks about us. Uh, please also tell your friends about us. Word of mouth is a huge thing. 
Um, I'm sure you have friends, family members, coworkers who like movies and like to read or listen to movie reviews. So please steer them our way and uh, let, you know, let them know about us. You can also contribute to us uh, financially, which we greatly appreciate, which you can do through randomchatter.com slash Patreon. Um, and from Patreon, just a dollar a month uh, gets you access to our Discord channel. That's right. We have changed from Slack over to Discord. Um, very similar type of platform where you can have multiple levels of chat rooms and that kind of stuff. Um, our big reason for changing over to Discord is because it gives us a lot of opportunity to grow and offer more things through the network. Um, because Discord is uh, was largely based, uh, it was it was largely developed for gamers. It integrates very well with Twitch, so we are able to do. Uh, we're able to have some video integration with Twitch, which we're looking to do with some of our podcasts here and there shortly. Um, it also interacts better with Patreon. So when you um, uh, make a contribution through Patreon, we have faster awareness of that and can get you integrated into the Discord community a lot sooner. Um, Discord also has a public lobby. So you don't have to be a Patreon contributor in order to access um, the public lobby of Discord. And Discord is great. We have all of our hosts and a lot of other listeners hanging out in there. Uh, we have a lot of different discussions on topical things and shows and that kind of stuff. Um, so that public lobby has a lot of discussion. You can kind of get a, get a taste for it. If you go to randomchatter.com slash discord, that will bring you there. Um, you'll just have to create a, um, a, a username and such for discord and you're in. If you want to have broader access to the rest of Discord, which would be all of our specific channels where we have a lot of intensive conversation on the Han Solo movie or on uh, the, the movie Rampage podcast or on various other things, uh, there's food, there's alcohol, there's pets, there's Star Wars in general, there's TV shows, there's all sorts of things. Um, then you, the way to do that would be, uh, again, back through Patreon. So randomchatter.com slash Patreon, $1 a month will get you to that. Um, and it kind of builds from there. So the more you contribute, the more we give to you, uh, you go to the $5 a month level, the $10 a month level, you get access to some exclusive things, bonus content, that kind of stuff. So like just before we recorded this episode, Liz and I did a little bit of bonus content and we talked about some stuff that she has coming up. We kind of hash through what we're going to do for our next episodes uh, here for, for Movie Rampage. And uh, you really get to listen to Enjoy. Some, of that, uh, some of that conversation. Sometimes it's really meaningless. Sometimes it's a lot of fun. It's never meaningless. Yeah, that's right. So uh, so that's my pitch there. We, we definitely appreciate your, your support, uh, both for this podcast and across the network. Uh, and the music you hear on this podcast is by Bearded Audio. There it is. Thanks a lot, folks, for listening. Go watch some movies. Yay! Catch you next time. Episode 7! Woohoo!